It was uh, July of this year, and I was at church camp near Cobden eating lunch when all of a sudden I heard a commotion outside. And so I walked outside, and I, all I could see was a bunch of kids lying on their bellies looking under a boat that was being used as a prop for the vacation Bible school that was happening at that moment. But what I realized is that under the boat, it was not what you would think. And under the boat, there was carnage. It was a, a bloodbath. Because this is what I saw. I saw a garter snake eating a frog. And the frog was still alive. It was a leg first, head last kind of thing. A bit like how I ate jelly babies when I was a kid. It was something that was almost too gruesome to look at, but I couldn't look away either. And so I did what any normal adult human being would do when surrounded by kids watching something that would brand itself on their memories forever and would probably lead to long, expensive counseling sessions when they were older. I said, no way, that is so cool. And then I whipped out my smartphone, opened the camera, and I hit record. Then, of course, my concern turned to the general population. And, of course, it wasn't, me, it wasn't enough for me that these kids would need counseling. Um, I also wanted to inflict this horrifying scene uh, on the general population. So it wasn't long before I'd uploaded it to Instagram and to Facebook. And so if you want to watch this fantastic video of a garter snake eating a frog alive, um, then add me as a friend on Facebook or Instagram after the service but don't do it now because I want you to be listening to me and I will know if you've added me during the service so don't do it now add me afterwards on their album all that you can't leave behind you two sing a song called stuck in a moment that you can't get out of and I think that probably that's how that frog felt at that moment in time and we've all had those moments right where we feel stuck um where where we've been stuck in a conversation that we've been trying to politely extricate ourselves from for the past half an hour or stuck in a queue for toilets or stuck uh, in a situation where Netflix has paused and it's maybe buffering and you're trying to get back into the show but the internet's not cooperating or maybe you've been stuck in a buy now, pay later um, plan which you wish you'd never agreed to in the first place or perhaps you feel that you're stuck in a relationship or maybe you've been stuck on a boat feeling seasick. Now I've lived for four years on a ship with my family, and we're very well acquainted with that feeling of seasickness and knowing that land will not be reached for nearly another week. Sailing on a ship is like um, riding on a roller coaster that's very repetitive and very slow. And even though this particular roller coaster ride that is a ship is very slow and very repetitive, it does terrible things to your stomach area like a roller coaster ride also does. And like a roller coaster ride, when you're on a ship in the middle of the ocean, you're not able to get off. You're stuck in a moment that you can't get out of. Now, when you're afloat on a body of water, you understand what it truly means to be at the mercy of forces outside of your control. And, and for some of us, life feels like that. We feel helpless and all we feel we're able to do is to hang on for the ride. And in these moments, sometimes we pray, hoping that maybe there's a God out there who perhaps is interested enough in our little lives to pay us some mind. 
On Sundays at, at Cornerstone, as a church family, we've been looking at how Jesus is the servant king. We've been working through the book of Mark. And here today, we're going to look at two passages from Mark's gospel that are both about being stuck in the water, stuck in a moment. And in both of these passages, which you'll find on your song sheet, you have a storm, you have big waves, you have people in fear for their lives, and with no way of escape unless Jesus miraculously intervenes. Now, I won't be reading them through, but I will be referring to them. So I'd encourage you to read along and make notes if you want to. You can write your little thoughts, make connections, underline. If God's saying something to you, it's worth writing it down. It helps that to sink in and cement. So our two passages today are Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41, and Mark chapter 6, 45 to 52. This is the story so far. Jesus has been telling stories, and he's been healing people, and he's been doing miracles like casting out evil spirits, and he's been showing and telling people what the kingdom, what his kingdom looks like, and what kind of a king he is. Now it's the evening time, and as Mark chapter 4 verse 35, if you look at the first passage, as Mark 4:35 tells us, Jesus says to these 12 ordinary folk who are following him, who are kind of like his apprentices, he says to them, let's cross over to the other the side of the lake. So whatever happens next, it's because of this, Jesus' bright thought, Jesus' bright idea to cross the lake. Now, the boat that they would have been sailing in would have been 26 and a half feet long, and it could hold 15 people. It's unlikely that they would have had an outboard motor, so probably there was very little wakeboarding happening at this moment in time. And so they're little boat leaves and it's part of a little flotilla there's other boats going with them and they head across this lake and this lake is about 13 kilometers wide and 21 kilometers long now as you can expect Jesus is exhausted after a massive day of healing and teaching so he lays down for a nap on a cushion at the back of the boat at the stern and then in verse 37 we read that a furious squall comes up a great windstorm and it was such a storm that the boat was nearly swamped so if you can try to imagine what this looks like and felt like and sounds like and smells like in your mind the boat was nearly swamped. The wind was blowing, and the people with Jesus are frantically bailing. They freak out, and then they climb over to Jesus at the stern of the boat. They shake him awake like their lives really depend on it, and then they yell at him over the sound of the wind, don't you care if we drown? That's the first boat account. Now, in the second boat account, in Mark 6, Jesus again tells his disciples to get into the boat. But this time, he tells them to go on ahead of him. He then heads up onto the hillside, and he has a nice little prayer time. And while he's talking there with Father God, he looks down and sees the boat with with his disciples out there in the middle of the lake. And he can see that they're straining at the oars, but they're making no headway at all. They're trying to fight against the wind so that they can land on the shore on the other side. And so he sees this, then he carries on praying for a few more hours, and then he goes down to them walking on the water. So the first thing that we notice this is that in both cases, it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake. What does this show us? This shows us that following Jesus does not make for an easy life. Sometimes following Jesus means that trouble and hardship, even persecution, will come. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter 
how easy or hard life is. What matters is the truth of what we are building our lives around. That's the only thing that really matters. You see, we live in a society where the easier your life is, the better. So the cottage, the boat, the cruise, the vacation, the cushy retirement deal. And we also, at the same time, chasing after these things, we try to avoid pain at all costs. But even though we try our level best to hide from it, tragedy strikes, trouble comes, these furious squalls come out of nowhere. And so the question is, or sorry, the question is not how comfortable is your life? The question is, how prepared are you for the bad weather that is going to be coming your way? In Mark chapter 4, it was a furious squall that took everyone by surprise. In Mark chapter 6, it, it was a relentless wind that pushed, pushed against them. Now, this squall in Mark chapter 4, we can liken to maybe a tragedy that rises up out of nowhere, the loss of a job or the loss of a child or a relationship that has been irretrievably damaged or an investment that has had the bottom fall out of it or a bridge that suddenly collapses or a medical diagnosis that gives you six months to live. These are the furious squalls of life. Now, the relentless wind that we read about in Mark 6, we could take to mean... Um, this relentless uphill struggle of life, the fact that you're working hard but you don't seem to be really getting anywhere, this sense that life itself is conspiring against you, you're, you're only just making your bills, you're worried about retirement or the kids' education, you're concerned about the amount of or the effect that online gaming is having on your kids. Um, it's just never-ending, worry after worry. So whether it's a, a, a terrible storm, a ferocious squall that appears out of nowhere, or this relentless struggle of life, we all know what it's like to, to be at, mercy, at the mercy of forces outside of our control. If, if, you, if you can appreciate that, if you've ever felt like that, being at mercy at, uh, of forces outside of your control, Please nod your head so I know I'm not alone. Yeah. Now, what's also interesting is that in both of these passages, there is a moment where the disciples, who were Jesus' closest friends, closest confidence, that they feel abandoned by Jesus himself. They feel alone. In the first account, he was asleep. He was having a nap. In the second account, he stayed on shore and is having a prayer meeting while they were struggling. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, we hear an echo of our own prayers in these moments. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Now, in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, even though the disciples weren't in any immediate risk or danger, they were exhausted. And Jesus looks down, he sees them, he saw that they were in trouble, but he did not immediately transport himself out into the middle of the lake to help them, even though being the Son of God, it was well within his um, might and power that he could do that. Instead, what he did is he waited and he prayed. So what am I trying to get at here? Simply this, that life is going to throw at us intense times of struggle or prolonged seasons of hardship, we will have times when we're either just physically exhausted from the attempt to keep up in life, or we're absolutely terrified at what is coming next. Sometimes it will feel like Jesus is far away or that he's fast asleep. 
that he's unconcerned. And in those seasons, I want to tell you that it is okay to pray to Jesus, to call out to him, don't you care if I drown? Don't you care if I drown? That is a legitimate prayer. Because, you see, if it was okay for some of Jesus' closest followers who had seen him do miracles and heal the sick, if it was okay for them to ask him this, then it's okay for us as well. Sometimes we can leave our worries and our fears unverbalized. And what happens when, when we do that is that they can turn malignant inside us. It just grows and it eats us up from the inside out. It can really destroy us. How much, how much more wonderful is it to call out to Jesus and have the freedom to ask him this, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if I drown? Because it's only as we ask Jesus the question that we can expect an answer. Now, I was listening to a, a speaker recently, Reverend, uh, Reverend Krista Shaver from Newington, Ontario. And she says this, that questions like this are not motivated by, by, by doubt, but they are motivated by faith. An atheist does not pray these prayers. Great point. So if you feel that you're at the mercy of these furious squalls of life or these relentless winds of life, if you are exhausted or afraid, cry out to Jesus. Be honest with him because this is a sign that faith exists, however small it is. Now, as we, we work through these two passages, we also discover that Jesus is not only present, but he is he's active. He's working. In Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is woken up from his nap, uh, he stands and he rebukes the wind. He shouts at the waves, quiet, be still. Now, verse 39 of chapter 4 says this, says that the effect was instantaneous. It says that the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now, interestingly, interestingly in the Bible, water often represents maybe chaos, you know, these uh, forces which are outside of our control, which we don't understand. And Jesus speaks into our chaos, represented by the water, and he speaks his, his peace. However, in the other account, in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus showed up walking on the water, because he's God and so he can do this kind of thing, th- his followers began, begin wetting themselves with terror, with fear. It says in verse 49 that they thought that he was a ghost. And so they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. So you just think about this, that you'd been straining at the oars for hours. You'd been really getting nowhere. And then out of the howling wind, a figure suddenly appears walking on the water. Would you be afraid as well? I wonder what your first conclusion would be. Would you think, yes, Jesus, you're here? Or would you be, this is absolutely terrifying. It's a ghost. And what this shows us is that sometimes when Jesus shows up to, to ready to help us, to, to, to intervene, to really do something for us, sometimes we don't recognize it's him. Sometimes we can misunderstand him. We can respond or react because he's not doing things in a way that we easily recognize, in a way that we easily understand. Sometimes God can work in ways that are mysterious or not expected. We want Jesus to show up in this way, looking like this, but it doesn't always work like that. You see, God is not bound by our expectations of him. God does not have to do what we think he should do. 
I'm sure it would have been nicer if Jesus had maybe given them a heads up that he was coming, if he'd have supernaturally magnified his voice up there on the hillside and said, okay, disciples, I know that you're afraid, and his voice is echoing around the lake, um, but I'm actually coming to you. I'm going to come walking to you on the water. It might freak you out a bit, but uh, don't worry because it's me. It's not a ghost, even though you might be tempted to think it is. Uh, And ready or not, here I come. You see, if God... um, only did what we wanted, and if he, if he obeyed our every whim or request, can you imagine how much more messed up this world would be? Because those who tell God what, what he should do are in fact claiming the title of God themselves, right? If you're telling God what he should do, you're claiming the title of God yourself. And it's this very reason why this world is so broken right now. But there is only one God, and he will do what he wants to. He's free to do that. That's what makes him God and you not, because he's totally free to do anything that is in accordance with his nature. And so here is Jesus walking on the water, looking like a ghost, freaking out all the disciples. But immediately, Jesus puts their fears to rest. He says in verse, verse 50, what does he say? He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, We don't really get this in the English translation, but what the disciples would have heard in in Aramaic, uh, what they would have heard is this. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am, don't be afraid. And this little phrase, I am, is a special phrase that God the Father used of himself in the Old Testament. He referred to himself as I am. And what this means is that God is the self-existent one. And what Jesus is doing is that by referring to himself as I am, he's telling them that he is God and he has this. He has it in control. And so just like these folks in this boat, Jesus comes walking to us on the chaos of our lives. It's no obstacle to him. In fact, often it's the chaos that is the path that he walks on in order to get to us. Often our chaos is the path that Jesus walks on in order to get to us. And so in Mark chapter 4, he rebukes the waves and they stop. In Mark chapter 6, in silence, he gets into the boat and everything suddenly gets calm. Jesus alone can command calm out of chaos. Now, in both of these accounts, uh, the storm stops. And so we might be tempted to think that, When we trust in Jesus, everything's going to suddenly be okay. That Jesus is the grand storm stopper. That when we follow Jesus, we should expect smooth sailing. But that's not always the case. There was this guy called Paul who was a Jesus guy in the Bible. And he went through numerous storms and shipwrecks and crazy hardships. In fact, he died because he was a Jesus guy. Now, I spent time working with a missionary who hailed from the country of Zimbabwe. And he lost his wife and his kids in a car accident. So in, in one fell swoop, he lost his whole family. He was the loveliest, gentlest guy who had a heart of gold. And against all odds, he found love there on the mission field. And he was, he was engaged. He was thinking, now I have a second chance. But then he got sick and he went home. And not long afterwards, he actually died. You see, Jesus does not stop all of the storms of life. Followers of Jesus throughout the ages have sacrificed in major ways, many of them paying the largest price. Because the issue here, like I said earlier, is not how easy is your life. 
The issue is how true is the foundation of your life? How true is the purpose of your life? How true is the goal of your life? Because comfort isn't what matters. Truth is what matters. It's not about whether you experience storms. The question is, is Jesus the skipper of your boat in the midst of the storms? There's this guy called Alan Cole who said this, sometimes God saves us from trouble, sometimes he saves us in trouble, sometimes he saves us from death, and sometimes he uses our death to glorify his name. So we've seen here that Jesus is Savior. In these two accounts from Mark, he has shown us that he's the one who's uniquely prepared and equipped and ready to save us. And we've also seen that he's motivated. We've seen that when we allow Jesus to insert himself into the storms of our life, that even though these storms may still rage, we can face them with confidence, knowing that Jesus is with us. But our biggest storm is not a physical storm or a financial storm or an emotional storm. Our biggest storm is that our eternal souls are at risk of shipwreck. We are stuck in, we are at risk of being stuck in an eternal moment that we cannot get out of. And this moment looks like this because that, that, that God is holy, he is perfect, he's absent of any sin, and we are not. And what this means is that we're never able to reach him. It's like we're on one shore and God is there on the other shore. And, and, and there in the midst of us, or there in between us and God, are the furious squalls of our own sin and failures and the relentless wind pushing against our best efforts we cannot make any headway as much as we try now all of religion says this try harder get yourself out of this moment that you're stuck in row harder you should do more you should show god that you're serious you should impress him that's what religion says but that's not the message of jesus christ our only hope is that jesus comes to us walking on the water of our own own chaos only he can speak the words quiet be still into our lives and as we give him the right he climbs into the boat of our own lives and he says take courage it is i i am and in saying that in saying i am Of course, he's saying that he's both God and man, human. So as human, what this means, why it's so important that God is both, uh, why Jesus is both God and human, why this is so important is that as human, he can legally take our place in that moment that we can't get out of. He can be our substitute. Um, But if he was only a man, he would be crushed under this weight. He could not hold up under this mess that we're in. So he also has to be God. As God, he he alone can bear the full weight of our sin. He can see that moment through to the end. He can pay it in full. Religion says, pay your own dues. Row your own boat. Jesus says, allow me. Allow me to calm the seas of your sin. Allow me to speak peace into your heart that is racked by a guilty conscience. Allow me to speak courage into your life that is constantly in fear of condemnation. And as he climbs into the boat of our lives, we experience peace with God. When the fearful disciples welcomed him into their boat, they weren't just welcoming him as Savior. They were acknowledging his status as Lord. They were giving over control to him. They were giving him the helm. So for you here today, I want to say that it may appear like Jesus is sleeping, even as the storms of life are raging around you. It may feel like Jesus is far off, waiting, looking down at 
on you as you wrestle and struggle. But here's what, what I believe, and here's what the Bible teaches. He's looking at you with eyes of compassion, with eyes of a savior, and he's ready to step in and save you. But he's waiting until you truly realize your need of him. He's waiting until you need him as savior and Lord. He's waiting until you've exhausted your own attempts to self-save, to row your own way to safety. And he's waiting until you're ready to make him the captain of your boat. But what happens at that moment of surrender, at that moment of giving everything over to him, at that moment of confessing your need of him to, to sort out your sins that are weighing you down like an anchor that leave you stuck in a moment that you can't get out of, Jesus appears and he says to you, my beloved, my loved one, on the cross, I got stuck in a moment. I got suspended between heaven and earth, between God's holiness and your sin, so that you don't have to. Just trust me. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And so my, my question as I wrap up is this. Have you had enough of doing things your own way? Have you had enough of going through life alone, relying on your own resources? Have you had enough of facing the furious squalls and the relentless winds and challenges of life alone? Are you feeling shipwrecked from the storms of the past, the memory of your own sins and the way that people have sinned against you? Well, this, this, this morning is the moment where you can relinquish control of your life. You can trust Jesus to take the helm and to speak peace, peace that only he can give into your life. And if this is you, I would encourage you to speak to me afterwards or, or to speak to the person who asked you here because I would love to, to show you this Jesus who is my Lord and Savior, who has changed my life absolutely, who has changed Jeff's life absolutely, who has transformed so many people's lives here. He's waiting and he's excited and he wants you to know him. 